0: Dude, there's one uh, clip of uh, uh, you giving a speech in the documentary Mm. and it's old. It's like it's got to be from the 90s because it is the most the most 90s set piece and stuff oh ever. my goodness I know and the pants I'm wearing they're like pleated, pleated. <laughs> the pants
1: are great. they're pleated pants I look like I just like raided the set of friends and like took their clothes and
0: <laughs> you look like you look like an extra from Ninja Turtles one oh, No. <laughs>
1: that is so true that is so brutal and so true
0: Ugh. Welcome to Grown Up Christian. I'm Casey. And I'm Sam. And Sam is recovering from a, a very tough evening. How, <laughs> how long has this been that you've been uh, cleaning up puke?
2: Oh my god. It, it's it been... It started probably sometime last night. I don't even know. I lost track. But basically, like, dude, we had my family over. Um, yesterday. so we're recording this Sunday night. So, yeah, over the weekend, Saturday, we had my... Um, my family over my for my mother's 60th, like a uh, 60th birthday party. And um, everyone was fine. And by the time we were ordering dinner, uh, still everything was fine. I came back with it. And my wife was like, I feel terrible. Um, and she ended up just basically spending the rest of the night in our room, like only popping out like here or there. But I mean, we let people know that she wasn't feeling great. So, you know, whatever. We just, she was just kind of laying low. And then after everybody left is when my kids started acting funny. And right around bedtime where my daughter just like threw up everything she ate that evening all over her bed. And (laughs) so then it was just like Jill's like, Sam, uh, I need you. So it's like strip the bed, bring into our room. But before that, we give her a bath. She gets out of the bath. She's in there for a bit. She was a trooper, man. I'm like, I was so proud of her. Cause when I was a kid, I was terrified of throwing up. I would like panic and cry and just be a giant baby. Like it was so scary to me. And, um, she was just like nervous about it the first time. She doesn't remember when she threw up previously. Like it was a couple years ago. And that was also a nightmare. Cause I was, I got, I had the privilege of dealing with that because my wife was also sick that time too and uh i took like that first time i took like a full like um exorcism exorcist type like projectile blast to the chest so that was pretty sweet
0: (laughs) but this is just like a a (laughs) two by two column of of vomit yeah it was
2: it was awful
0: Uh, it's like ghostbusters (laughs) yeah
2: but this time so my daughter gets out of the tub uh we, after we get cleaner her up and i was like how are you feeling honey and she's like fine i was like do you feel good she's like yeah i was like does your tummy hurt now she's in the middle of the living room then she just like looks at me and gets these like giant eyes and the dread sets in and it's just blasts my couch the ottoman the the floor the rug every i mean everything is just sprayed and i was just like i I looked at it like I when that happens, you look at it for like 10 minutes. You're like, we have to throw out everything like you can't keep this. <laughs> <laughs> all it's new furniture, <laughs> all new flooring. Yeah.
0: do this. Was, did you get for reminding her.
2: Then I just so I dragged my rug outside and hung it up over my uh, deck railing. And it's out there in the rain right now. It's still covered in puke. I think I am just going to put it in the garbage. It was like it was, let <laughs> nature clean it. it it was cheap like all of the furniture we have upstairs is is cheap because like we didn't want to spend a lot of money on it we actually it's funny well i'll save that story for another day uh another vomit story but this time it has to do with a drunk friend and it's great so i'll put a peg and a pin in that and we'll we'll tell that story another time but um yeah so then it like the rest of the night it was just like her but she was great i mean she would wake up she's like I have to throw up and then she'd puke into a bucket and then she'd go brush her teeth and then she'd get back into bed. Like it was really funny. Oh, like, good for her. How like calm and composed she was about it. And today the kids just chilled in my bed all day watching TV and they were so sweet. My son gets a little more like crank. He's not as like chill. Uh, he's more like kind of panics and freaks out. Probably like that more like what I would have done when I was a kid. So um <laughs> It was a long day, but uh, I finally, after like six hours, cleaned the puke smell out of the couch. Um, so that's good. All the laundry's done, but it was uh, an eventful, I don't know, I guess we're just rounding about 24 hours now.
0: <laughs> so you put some work in this weekend. Yeah. I took time
2: off too this week. We went away. And, uh, it was just, this is a nice capstone to the few days off they took. right?
0: <laughs> yeah. I, uh, I feel like throwing up, like my body responds to every problem with maybe you should puke. <laughs> it's it's like, 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 Oh, your head hurts. Why don't you puke and see if that does it? <laughs> like, your stomach hurts. Oh sprained ankle, like anything, you know.
2: <laughs> do you actually throw up or do you just get that feeling? Or do you really oh, throw yeah, up a I, lot?
0: I throw up like I get what? migraines really bad. <laughs> so weird. I like anytime I get a migraine, like this week, I threw up this week. I was like driving clear out to like southwest Kansas to meet a guy for for work. Um it's there's nothing along the way. I mean it's just miles and miles and miles of nothing. So I'm I'm driving along, my head starts hurting, I take my prescription, uh, but it's just not really feeling right, you know. I can kind of tell when stuff's not right. And so I get to this tiny little town that's just south of Dodge City, Kansas, which you've probably heard of from like Western movies and Wyatt Earp and all of that kind of stuff. If there's a if there's part of you that thinks like, Oh, Dodge City. Ah, that might be cool. A lot of history and stuff like that. Maybe we'll go there. Don't.
2: <laughs> yeah. Okay. It sucks.
0: Point taken. <laughs>
2: well
0: it's noted. A terrible town. It's my least favorite place in Kansas. And it's it's not even a town. It's like a truck stop where people live. <laughs> and it smells like like uh, like the scent of there's feedlots all around it, you know. That whole western Kansas is full of feedlots, which are if you're not from familiar yeah, with those are uh, like the no clue. Think about like your the image your brain conjures up when you think factory farm. Mm-hmm. That's what it is. It's just like uh a square, like a half a square mile of just cows standing on top of each other in their own poop. And I'm sure I'm exaggerating and I'm sure there's like a lot of protocols in place or whatever, but it smells awful. Yeah.
2: If there's one thing we've done really well as a country, it's having great protocols for uh, factory farms. (laughs) (laughs) Why are you trying to stand up for factory farms, Casey?
0: Well, it's because a lot of people work in it, you know, (laughs) a lot of people work in that industry. But uh, I got out to this little bitty town south of Dodge City and I pulled out, there's one gas station. And it's old, old. And so I pull in there and I'm like, oh, am I really going to do this? Yeah, I'm going to do it. So I go, I go in there and I go, it's like, you know, one stall bathroom. Uh, It's filthy. It's like horrible inside. So I like pull a bunch of paper towels out and like lay them (laughs) all over everything. So I've at least got some like clean surface contact. Uh, And yeah, and then I just puked everything up in my stomach
2: everything you lay the paper towels on soaks through them
0: so you still see the so
2: oh god
0: <laughs> there's no avoiding like you're putting your hand in urine there's yeah. there's no avoiding it
2: so i get really bothered by any like public restrooms i it's like ugh, i can't really do them like i will i i will just I'll use like half a roll of toilet paper, like try to scrub down the toilet seat and stuff before I sit down. I'm a toilet paper seat cover kind of guy. If they don't have seat covers and we know most bathrooms don't, I'm like really bothered by it. And if it gets too bad, I'll like try to hover and that always goes poorly. But uh, I'm passing that on to my son uh, now, which is funny because he's like, we'll go into a bathroom and he's like, is this an icky potty? And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's disgusting.
0: <laughs> Don't touch it.
2: He goes, why well, can't they're all icky
0: potties, son? When
2: he goes <laughs> to the bathroom, he like holds onto it with like the sides of it. And he's like, can I touch this potty?" I was like, no, you can't touch this. Body. Don't touch this. potty." <laughs> and then like, I put, like put him on the potty and you see his pants, just like his legs swing down and his pants press up against the, the, the bowl. And then you just like, Someone's pee is all over his pants now. I, this is disgusting. I get, oh, I hate <laughs> bathrooms so much. Deeper. And now that I have to take kids into them, like, and they don't have the ability to oh, be man. sanitary. They can't not touch stuff. They can't like, I mean, he'll just go up to a urinal and just grab onto it and be like, what's this? And it's just, uh, God. <laughs> I'm trying to get him to like, use to pee, to pee standing up, but he's too short for a lot of the urinals. So it's just like, I have to like, I gotta. He, he's like, we'll be in a public restroom, and I was like, "Can you do it, buddy?" And somebody walks in, and he, he's like, "I want you to hold my penis, daddy." And I'm like,
0: <laughs> "Okay." <laughs> Here we go. It's just
2: so much discomfort. Yeah. The first thing you probably walked in, just turns around and walks right back out. No. Yeah, I'm, I'm out.
0: I don't want to have to purse through whether I should intervene in this situation or not.
2: Yeah. Uh,
0: I feel like I'm a, I'm a neat person. Maybe not the cleanest person. Not to say that I'm like, okay, with just filth. Or, uh, I don't think about like germs and stuff, but like, I don't know. I just don't worry about germs very much, but like clutter and stuff being out of place, like stresses me out. Yeah. So like once in a while I do like some, like the house just gets to a point where like, we got two dogs, one big dog and one small dog. Uh, we got two indoor cats and then one that kind of comes and goes, uh, as he wants. And so, you know, if, if, if we're busy during the week, then like Friday evening rolls around and I want to chill out. But there's just like cat cat hair tumbleweeds blowing across oh, yeah. the floor.
2: I'm super <laughs> familiar with those. With three so cats I'll just do like
0: some really angry cleaning. Just like, <laughs> like sweeping, but I'm just jamming the broom into the floor. You
2: know? <laughs> and the worst thing about those is like you sweep them and they just like poof up and roll over your broom and just hang out right where you started.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah. There's nothing worse than like sweeping, like vigorously sweeping the whole house and then walking back out to the main room. And there's like a a tumbleweed in the middle of the floor. Yeah.
2: Oh yeah. Ah! Super familiar with that, man.
0: (laughs) Oh, what does gross me out though, which I've had this yesterday had a a close experience with is uh, it's, so in Michigan, we had mosquitoes like crazy. I mean, they were awful. Just is the worst. This is the worst mosquitoes I've ever seen anywhere. Um, we don't have that many of those in Kansas, but we have ticks. And ticks might be worse. Yeah. Like at least mosquitoes you can see, you can spray yourself and keep them away. Like ticks just make their way in. And, you uh, know, I, so like I, my big dog, you know, his his hair is so thick that he doesn't really get them as bad. Like once I'll find one on him once in a while. But that's the other problem is like his hair is so thick that you can't find them. You know, you have oh, to yeah. accidentally like come across one or it has mm-hmm. to be on his ear or something where you can see it. But they have to like uh,
2: start engorging themselves and you feel it when you're petting him. You're like,
0: oh, oh yeah. he,
2: is this a tumor or uh, a tick?
0: There's nothing worse than like walking through the living room and like seeing like a little round thing on the floor. And you're like, is that a raisin? And it's just Ugh. a tick. That's so fat. It can't move. It's just laying on your floor about to blow up.
2: Ugh, Ugh. those are but disgusting. I That's takes their, I mean, that's like how, what a weird, cre- I mean, they, they get engorged like that and then they just drop off and just chill in the grass until they finally digest all of that and just rinse and repeat.
0: What yeah, just lay stuff? on their backs like uh, pooping all over their legs. Yeah, until they're <laughs> small enough to crawl again. Yeah, dude, Phoebe though her hair is real thin. You know she's a Britney, so she's got real like uh, fine, soft hair. And I don't, I don't know how many ticks we picked up, and she's on a prescription for it. You know they got like a chewable tablet that they take, and so like oh, yeah. the ticks will bite into them, and then they'll die. Yeah, yeah. 'Cause Lyme disease and stuff, they have to be attached for a while, I think, before you have to before that becomes a concern. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't really make you feel any better when they come back. She played in the woods like all day yesterday while we were painting our shed. And she came back and we both just like like picked through her entire body. And I bet you we picked twenty ticks off of her.
2: Ugh. That's disgusting.
0: It's, oh yeah. It's the worst. But they'll die down here. There's probably like another couple of weeks or three weeks or so until they die down.
2: Yeah, it's like a legit season
0: then where it just like starts and then it ends. The worst thing that's ever happened with ticks is uh, we were walking maybe like two years ago, maybe th- maybe three. It was about this time of year and we were walking like through our fields and stuff, just looking around. And uh, that tall grass is like the worst spot for them. Like Mm -hmm. woods, you'll get them in the woods, but like that tall grass, man, you're going to you're going to pick up ticks. And so we walked all over the place. We got back to the truck and uh, I'm actually like sitting in my truck and I look down and there's like a splotch on my leg. Like, what? What is that? I thought it was like some sort of seeds or stickers or something that had gotten on me. And I, I was trying you to were brush just, it off. You were like
2: sticker. You were using your sticker book right before that, and you thought well, like, you had a
0: bunch of stickers. I stuck don't know to what the thing. technical term is, like <laughs> burr, whatever you call them. Like the things that from plants, you know, plants always putting their eggs and semen That's on. What you them. call stickers? You guys are weird. <laughs> they stick to you. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, um, adhesive plant seed pods. Does that work for you? I always call them birds. Birds, okay, yeah, birds works.
2: I mean, stickers is cute too, so we can go with stickers.
0: (laughs) Well, it wasn't stickers. I look down (laughs) and I I start looking, and okay, if you've got your phone right now, like wherever you are, if you're driving, pull over. But uh, Google seed ticks, and it's it's horrible. They're they're like so small that you, you have to really look close at them to even tell that it's an insect. It just looks like a speck. And I had them, dude, I had, I mean, they were all over me. Like I walked through a nest. So I start freaking out and, uh, and you threw up, (laughs) (laughs) threw up, but we like went back to the, we ran back to the house. We both like jumped in the shower and we're like, you know, just scrubbing each other off trying to get. It. And the more you look, the more you find them, you know? So like, Ugh. just go like, come going, out like crazy. <laughs> oh, it, dude, everywhere, like under your balls. <laughs> <laughs> Every one of my my uh, creases and folds and <laughs> just clinging to my stretch marks. <laughs> but uh, so we thought we got them all off. We're like, okay, that was traumatic let's just (laughs) calm down here for a second. So like two hours later, we're watching TV and I felt like a tickle on my face and I, I like swipe it Uh, and it's another one. So I hate this so much. I hate hearing this is, is, is embarrassing, but like, so I basically just like stripped naked and (laughs) laid on the floor and April, like went over every little (laughs) part of me with a flashlight and picked them off. And after all of that, the second round, she picked off fifty of them. Are you kidding? Oh, that's my how God. many. Yeah, it's just <laughs> like a, it's like a ball of disgusting little insects, and I got wow. bit up too. They bit me a lot.
2: That's gross, dude. I gotta look those up. I never even heard of those.
0: I hadn't either. That's yeah, wild. They're really gross. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh man! All right, so. I'm going to shift gears on us because I want to get this in before our time's up and we introduce our guest coming up. Uh, Someone's working with some shit in the background there. I just heard some like, it sounds like someone threw a crowbar.
0: (laughs) I I think all of our pots and pans just came out at once.
2: (laughs) All right. So you, it's adorable. You have a stalker. (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. That's what you're going with. Yeah, we're going with it. You have a stalker and you were posting about it on on Facebook and you like threw up a bunch of screenshots about it, but I want to actually hear some of this story. Uh that we can cuz it's insane. Uh what a creeper. And it, I mean it's flattering. It, yeah. I know you love it. I know you love the attention, but
0: it's it's pretty cool. Yeah. So I'm like I'm like looking up the messages right now cuz it's all in Facebook Messenger. I had to block him so it's all in like my spam message requests.
2: And he's still doing this. Like these are what's the most recent message?
0: So the most recent message on here isn't very recent because okay. I blocked him so he can't message me anymore. Uh, but what happens is is he keeps making accounts on like Instagram or he'll make a new Facebook account and then show back up again. What dude? That's like
2: you should call the cops level weird.
0: So let me okay. So I'll start yeah, from the. What's the, beginning the backstory?
2: Here. Yeah. What's the back backstory? Uh,
0: this? So this guy was a salesman for the company that my dad, so my before my dad opened his own distributorship in Michigan, we lived in Georgia. Um, he was like the sales manager there. This guy was a salesman at the time. He's like an ex-motocrosser, uh, kind of uh kind of a Kyle sort of character, you know, like Dan Bilzerian wannabe. Okay, okay. And uh I, like he had a he did a bunch of things while he was there like like it was clear that he was doing a lot of party drugs and stuff by the sounds of it um showed up with <laughs> some interesting dates to like company parties and stuff he's just oh, always been kind, yeah, of, kind a of a wild guy. guy
2: yeah sounds like a yeah. fun, real fun guy definitely and- doing lines in the bathroom before coming back out to order his eighth bud light you know Kind of that kind
0: of guy. Jaeger bomb, dude. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but uh, I, so this is all when I was I mean, I was a kid before. We, I mean, we moved to Michigan when I was in fourth grade. So that gives you an idea. Like I, I saw him before we moved to Michigan several times at company things and stuff when I'm just just a little kid. And then at one point they came to Michigan for like a sales uh, quota trip that they that they won. Right. So he came up in snowmobile and stuff like that when I was maybe 14, something like okay. that. That's the last time I've ever seen this guy. I've had zero contact with him then. I'm 33. So the I I one day I got a message from it or like a friend request on Facebook and um, I, I recognized the name. So I added him and i knew that he was like a motorcycle guy and at the time i was really into motorcycles and so he messaged was that me the same
2: time that you crashed one you know as someone who was really <laughs> this either. would have
0: been post crash but mm, i wasn't okay. really riding them but i was building them <laughs> but uh he he started messaging me and we were talking about motorcycles and then our company and um you know i, I don't know this guy and he's he's 30 years older than me I mean, it's not like we really have a whole lot in common. So it was weird that he just kept talking to me about things mm-hmm. and uh did a couple sent a couple of things that were weird. He sent me uh like a listing to like his boss's old house and just some strange things that were like they weren't scary or anything. It was just like, well, that's kind of a weird thing to do. And yeah, it's
2: like that level of weird that it's just like your 60 whatever years old on like and you're using social media like it's just kind of like there's a like just an awkward level of weird but nothing like alarming
0: yeah exactly and like he i don't know he he just talks weird too and i think it's because he voiced he like uh it's like chat to text like whatever you call that voice text. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so like all of his messages read really strange and he uses a ton of punctuation and a ton of emojis. And I mean, the guy's like in his mid sixties, you know, and he started sending me like some weird stuff. Like he'd sent me like a eulogy that he wrote for his dad. Oh, and just some other strange things. Uh, I'm trying to find some of these messages, but then it it started to get really annoying because I, he was just messaging me nonstop and I'm trying to be polite because I'm kind of a public figure in my company. I do yeah. a lot of like public facing stuff and I communicate with a lot of the people that are salesmen for distributors and stuff. But he got to a point where he was just getting on my nerves and then he started sending me stuff like, uh, this was the one that, that, I was like, okay, we we got to we got to stop this. He says, "I'm going to be forwarding a couple of songs that I would like you to experience about the power of your love and passion for your lady and the desire to protect her at all costs, which is called The Power of Love by Frankie Goes to Hollywood, and the other song John Lennon wrote in the night before he was assassinated to his wife Yoko Ono about his desire to grow further deeper in love as I grow old together very beautiful songs Miss Louise turned me on to these so Songs, uh anyway, you looking for him, and I hope you and your queen enjoy them. Cool. No punctuation.
2: Yeah, I could tell by the way you read it that it was like stream of consciousness, no real interest in how the the, uh English language uh in as a written form works.
0: (laughs) Yeah, and he in meanwhile is like making comments on some of my posts and stuff on Facebook, and he keeps saying like weird things about my wife and yeah. oh he's
2: you know, like clearly trying to like the way that he, it's like it seems like the way that he's talking to you from some of the other stuff that i saw was like everything is about you and your love for her and then it gets but it drifts into like being a little bit more specific about her and then you're like oh okay i see what you're trying to do
0: here yeah he kept like commenting on things and talking about like saying stuff about how she was she was hot and um he he kept saying things like, "Oh, I'm I'm jealous." Oh. Which is I hate it. Don't say that. That is a weird thing to say to someone about their significant, about anything. Just don't don't talk about people that way. It's what? it's weird, you know? And so like I stopped I kind of stopped replying to him I, or I'd give him like a two-word reply like, "Okay, thanks," you know? And he just kept I mean, you could you could see on here, like if you can see this, I mean, there's just pages and pages and pages and pages of messages. And some of it's like work-related and some of it's not. And meantime, he keeps asking me for my phone number and telling me he needs to talk to me. I have something for you. I really need to speak with you urgently. Please give me a call. And I'm like, there is no way I'm giving you my phone number. Yeah. So I'm, <laughs> I'm working in like... I think I was in Michigan visiting a buddy and working up there. And I got a call from a number I didn't recognize. And I I pick up the phone and it and it, it's him. Oh, my God. And I don't know who gave out my number, but like, I wish you wouldn't have. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if you're listening, fuck you. <laughs> yeah. Don't do that to people either. Like if you if a stranger asks you for someone's number, that's a red flag. At least ask the person before you give them a number. Uh, so he had me on the phone for like 30 minutes. I, I didn't even get this. I was trying to close out the call from the very beginning and he just kept going and going and uh, just nonsense too. It's, I mean, it's, it's like stream of consciousness, nonsense about nothing. And uh, I'm like, Hey man, I, I really got to get back to work. Uh, I'll, t- I'll talk to you later. I finally just kind of hung up on him. So I blocked the number. Uh, I block him on Facebook. I block him on everything, right? Uh, maybe a month later I'm working again and I get another call from a Wichita number. So I answer the phone and it's him again. What And he had called my company and somehow convinced someone in the reception area to like forward him to my cell phone from his call from his phone because he was blocked on my phone. Whoa. Same sort of thing again. Like I really need to get in touch with you. I have some stuff for you. I want to send to you. I mean, I I really think you need to take a look, blah, blah, blah. So I block him that I go talk to the reception. I'm like, Hey, uh, I got a, a situation with this guy. If someone calls and asks for me to, you know, to, to be forwarded to me, like don't just take a message and I'll call him back if I need to. And, um, uh, I mean, it just, this is like, two years, this whole thing was going on. And I I had basically not had any contact with him for about the past year. Mm-hmm. And then he added me on Instagram from another account because I had blocked, I think I had blocked two accounts on Instagram already. What the heck? From him. Yeah. And, uh, and then he, he left me a voicemail from a different phone number. So he changed his number and tried to call me again from that number. It's like, it's just so, so weird. I, and what's,
2: it's that obsession. What's his, I mean, he's clearly obsessed with you in a way that does that. I mean, uh, you might want to consider a restraining order. I don't know. Just a thought.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's weird because it's like, I don't know if it's necessarily me. I mean, because part of it too is like, he has like some sort of weird mental connection with our company, even though he hasn't worked for in any regard with us for like 20 years. Are you trying to and tell
2: me you'll feel a little upset if he's doing this to other guys?
0: <laughs> I might get a little jealous. I might get a little testy over it, but uh, it's, I think this is something that he's, he's got like some untreated mental illness and like the profile that he added me on, on Instagram the other day, like before I blocked it, I took a couple of screenshots and uh, so on his profile, he's got this lady, she's like a pretty young lady uh, one of her face and then one of her like with her unbutton like chin down unbuttoned shirt on there obviously not someone that he knows or is affiliated with he just posted them on there and yeah the caption he wrote underneath is uh Beauty was and is God's greatest gift to our world. Your breathtakingly beautiful photos, the chew a place in the Instagram, disprove of God, ability to give me in kind beauty beyond belief. You are that woman. I wish I was your man. I'm only one man and one woman knows that God and you and I truly hope to hear back from you. I'd love to talk with her on the phone. And because it's two dimensional verses that say the dimension of text words that just that would just love to hear I'm beautiful your voicemail babe I love you to talk and a salesman for a long time <laughs> just have presentations for 500 people so I guarantee you our conversations would not be bored it's all up to you I'm <laughs> bleep owner of bleep which is not a company uh not a real company oh. and then I'll give you my cell number and just hope I'm lucky my cell number is <gasps> yes bleep. he gave it Oh, yeah, it's on his p- he if posted it's on it. the
2: page and he posted it. Why aren't you reading it out
0: loud? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm not worried about it. He put it out there publicly. Here we go. This gets a a little bit more personal, okay. I would love to see you wearing an electric blue dress that is actually in one of my photos of fire, and you'll have an your answer, a text to my son back beautiful. Uh, heels from the junk man daughter little five points. And I sit across from you and have a wonderful romantic dinner would be a very enjoyable. So here it is. The roses, here's the dress, here's the shoes and have a good friend as lingerie Mart. Is lingerie Mart a real thing?
2: Uh, I don't know if it's not, I
0: have a new business idea (laughs) that has all the above playboy, Frederick's Hollywood, Victoria's secrets. From evening gowns to whatever, it's a third generation business. Is one of my Facebook friends and running for a long time. Text shopping there, Victoria's Secret. As you spend a hundred bucks, one little bag here. You spend one hundred dollars. You work at five, as as last year's model. But it surprised me. I would totally enjoy shopping with you doing that, and nothing like decorating your woman because women are chameleons. Their designs change. We're just designed. To build things and protect you well, I will let you go. Think about my words, and maybe I'll hear from you. Ciao for now. Have beautiful dreams tonight, and always, David.
2: Yay! His name's David, at least. I think we should put his uh, cell phone number in the show notes. uh, I can't. If
0: if if, uh, (laughs) any ladies that are, you know a little pent up frustration over like being cat called at and stuff. I mean, he's obviously one of those dudes. So if you want to just drunk text his number and really give it to him, like that'd be fine.
2: Yeah. So you have to read it out loud for that. Or are we putting in the show notes? Are we giving it out? We'll see. Probably. Won't, <laughs> because I have a feeling when you write the show notes, you'll just conveniently leave it out for some <laughs> moral reasons. I don't know oh well that's really great I really appreciate learning a little bit more about your stalker some of that was even more information than I was expecting and new to me so that guy's a real uh a real 10 um he's a gem I would mind real if you peach. gave him my number next time you give him my number I could I think we would have a lot to talk about
0: all right yeah I can I can definitely arrange that yeah <laughs>
2: All right, so let's uh, go ahead and let everyone know who our guest is now. Um, not that they Drum don't roll. know. Yeah, I know. Drum roll, even though it's going to be the episode title, Joshua Harris, author of "I Kiss Dating Goodbye." This was honestly like a different conversation than I was expecting, and I really appreciated it and enjoyed the time that we had with him. We, um, he, it, it focused. Uh, look, if you want to listen to where he's at. Now, more specifically, and so, uh, there's a lot of people, there's a lot of podcasts that he's been on where he talks about his, uh, you know, newfound beliefs and sexual ethics and things like that. But we really got into um, what his life was like it, it, growing up Christian and then uh, how that kind of set him on the trajectory uh, after he had written and published I Kissed Dating Goodbye and, and, and the life that he had that led to his, uh, that, that big moment where he said, you know, I'm not, I'm not a Christian anymore.
0: Yeah. I think, uh, I have a feeling that, uh, some of you guys listening to this, uh, are thinking in your head, you want to hear, you want to hear him get blasted. And, you know, there's, <laughs> which is understandable to some extent. I mean, uh, we've talked a lot. And I mean, especially in the Discord, you know, people have talked about their, their connection to purity culture and just some of the impacts that it had on them. Um, I think in a lot of ways, uh, Josh was kind of a victim of that same stuff. You know, he, he got kind of made the poster boy for a movement that was sort of happening already. And uh, I don't know what your last point of contact was with Josh. Maybe it was watching that that documentary, I'd Survived, I Kissed, Dating Goodbye. Maybe it was before that. Maybe you don't really have a point of reference for who he is, but you kind of know a little bit about what we're talking about here. Um, he's had a very interesting life story. Yeah. And I think uh, if if you... I don't know what I'm trying to say. If, if you, if you feel like you want to be angry with him, just, just listen to this first and, and at least kind of get a perspective on like where he came from, what he went through and some of the things that, you know, I mean, it's, he's a, the guy's life really, I mean, turned upside down uh, on him and, you know, I think uh, the, the the overwhelming feeling that I got from him when we were talking to him was just a uh, a real sense of like honesty. I mean, he's a very genuine guy that mm-hmm. uh, you know has a lot of regrets about some of the things that he did when he was younger. You know, we all thought stupid things when we were twenty two. I think most of the things that I thought were dumb. So
2: <laughs> yeah, I, I know. I, I think the theme that I've recognized is that in my life is for how long that I stayed in your conservative evangelical movement and believed in their ethics if I was a good right, I I would have been it was it would have been easy for me to have been if someone gave me that position and elevated me and blew that much smoke up my ass and told me I was you know God's gift to purity or um good conservative evangelical sexual ethics. I would have been like, great, uh, let's roll with it. Uh, all I've ever wanted is the validation and support of people that I looked up to. Uh, so let's, I I, I don't know. I, I would have collapsed under that too. Uh, and it would have been wrong and I'm not excusing it. And I, he's not either. So I think that's just kind of, you know, I, I, I think it's clear that he's not making excuses for it and that he's just telling his story and how and why. And it is, it's important to just listen and hear from people like that because, you know, all of us could have been, as as much as you could have been a victim of of the mentality of it, and uh, it, it maybe directly affected by that book, you also, we I shouldn't say you, but we also could have, could have written that book to uh, most of us up until our late 20s, early 30s.
0: Yeah, I, I really liked Uh, I liked Josh a lot, you Mm -hmm. know, is kind of what I came away with in this, after this conversation. Um, And I was really glad that we got to have this conversation. This, this was, uh, this was a good episode for, for me personally. I feel like I, I just, I think uh, we really got to, you know, to talk to someone who is, Genuinely trying to make amends for some of the mistakes that he made when he was younger, and and going about it in a really good way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, that being said, enjoy our conversation with Josh Harris. And again, if you're not in the Discord, find the links in our social media and join the conversation.
2: Hey, everybody. We are back with our guest. I'm sure a lot of you have heard about him. Um, His name is Joshua Harris, and we're super excited to have him here with us. Uh, It's really cool of you to be here hanging out with us, Josh. Thanks a lot.
1: Thank you. I I feel like it's going to be a great interview because Casey's already drinking Mountain Dew, so it's going to be pretty amazing.
0: (laughs) Thank you for calling me I only drink Mountain Dew unless I'm drinking uh, Monster. Okay. I'm like a real... Like Kyle, sort of character, you know.
1: He's
2: a, he's still stuck in eighth grade when it comes to his beverage choices. This is gonna be a this
1: is gonna be a high energy conversation. I love it.
2: <laughs> Man, so Josh, I um, I mean, obviously, you know, your your big claim to fame is uh, a book called "I Kissed Dating Goodbye," um, and there's been some conversation around that book. I feel like the conversation around that book mostly died. Like as a kid. Like I had um, from my experience with it it was my parents like put it down and they're like, here's this book you should read. And me and my brother were like, no, thanks. And they didn't push it. Like, (laughs) uh, so, but of course, obviously a lot of people did read it. Um, Everyone goes to college, you know, it's people talk about it here and there. It comes up, but I feel like, um, you know, as much as people talk about its effect on them, it really, there was like this big, um, big, New conversation about it when, of course, uh, your mm. your documentary came out in 2018 while you were trying to now deal with some of the some of the um, your thoughts about it. And so, I I, I kind of actually want to just lead into like how what was going on with you. Uh, when you decided that maybe a documentary was a good idea about this book? And and did it seem like things get like kind of blown over with the book for you? And you were trying to revisit it as you were reconsidering things? Or was something kind of putting mm. that documentary in your face?
1: Well, I think you're right. I mean, I think the, the book was sort of, it was old news. It was sort of a fad from the, you know, the late 90s, early 2000s in a lot of ways. So I think most people would say they just kind of moved on from, it's not like they were thinking about I Kissed Dating Goodbye. But the reason I did the documentary was that other people were forcing a conversation. So I don't want to take credit for going back and, and restarting that. I think what happened is, is that there were all these people who had you know, been influenced by the book or influenced by now what you know people are describing as purity culture at the time, which my book was a, was a part of. And then, you know, 15, 20 years later, they're reaching a point in their life where the consequences of the decisions that they made back then are affecting them. And they're they're giving voice to that and they're connecting with other people that are saying, hey, wait a second, this was really messed up the way we were taught or the way that we thought or why did, you know, why was this book, you know, touted in the way that it was. And so you had this mix of people that were either like disillusioned by the fact that their marriage didn't work out the way that they wanted or they didn't get married and they'd been promised they they would get married or whatever it might be, or they're just like processing kind of the effects of the religious environment they were in. And so those people begin to get my attention. They begin to speak up. They were having conversations. They were critiquing. And so I was really late to the party in many ways. And I got to give credit to, a lot of the different voices, many in the, you know, LGBTQ community, queer community that were just like, this is messed up the way people thought then, you know, and, and trying to hold people like me to account.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, one of the things that Casey and I kind of jump back and forth on a lot is like, you know, obviously you're not the, uh, unless you want to give yourself more credit but it's hard to think (laughs) of you as the father of purity culture which i think Mm. is sometimes like the reputation i people try
0: to give you sometimes it feels like that gets pinned on you yeah Mm, and of course we're not trying to
2: like i mean you're we don't want to make any i don't know we're not trying to set you up to make any excuses for yourself obviously you're doing you're processing the work that's kind of been Mm. done over the years but i i the church was like kind of doing that right so i imagine you grew up in an environment that was that, that you didn't come up with that message. You know, uh, I assume that you were being taught that in some ways or for some reason that the that Christian education you were getting, uh, led you mm. to feel that way, especially as someone who what didn't really have much dating experience or anything like that. So what was like, yeah, True. what was the Christian culture you were coming from and were you receiving messages of purity culture type things, even if it wasn't called that yet yeah. from other outside sources or was this like you kind of just reading the Bible and, coming up with some of these conclusions
1: (laughs) yeah i mean i think the reality for all of us in in so many different settings is we are we're products of the culture that we're in and nobody just kind of pops up with a with a new idea so i think when i look back on it a part of my learning is to look back and realize okay here are the forces that were shaping the world that i was you know kind of brought into as a young Christian teenager. Here's what was happening in the evangelical church. Here's what was happening in the broader American culture at the time. This is what was taking place. And so I didn't even completely understand those things. I just kind of felt like, oh, this is the way it is. This is what's always been true. This is the way things should be done. And I'm getting messages from my youth group. You know, the True Love Waits movement is sweeping through the country you know, I got a I'm worth waiting for sticker that I put on my NIV study <laughs> Bible. And all of those messages were out there. My parents were giving me Elizabeth Elliott's book, Passion and Purity. There was a huge conversation within the subculture of Christian homeschooling, which I was a part of, about betrothal yeah, and courtship and all these different ideas. So there was a lot of buzz that was taking place. There were a lot of different kind of forces that were shaping the conversations. And I, was I think more a popularizer of ideas. So I do need to take responsibility for completely drinking the Kool-Aid, you know, writing a book that was arguing really strongly for these ideas, but there's also a sense in which I can't, you know, make myself more important than I am. There was there was a lot of conversation taking place. There were other books being written. There was a whole kind of structure of churches and and ways of thinking in families that embraced this kind of thinking and that had already in some ways been practicing this kind of approach to dating.
0: Yeah. I uh so I I knew of your book, but I never I don't I don't think anyone in my circle, because I was hardcore Christian school, tiny little group of people, okay. went to church with the same people. Yeah. And uh, you know, I my parents were were more a fan of one of your competitors. Uh, oh, Dr. Dobson. Really? <laughs> yeah, oh, doc, so. Dr.
1: Dobson was like the, the godfather of, of the evangelical world I was in. So yeah.
0: <laughs> they gave me a book called... Okay, so rather than talking about sex with us, they gave me a book called Preparing for Adolescence. Have You heard of that one? <laughs> I remember it. I never read it. They. I, was this supposed to be something you read as a kid? Yeah, was like I got a- it way too late. I was like 14. <laughs> I was like 14, and they're like, I guess he needs to know... Uh.
1: So but, it was a book that was written to teenagers, though, or to, it was like to pre- like, yeah. preteen,
2: like get ready, you're gonna want to oh, masturbate man. pretty soon. There's, it was
1: like that. Oh, <laughs> Dude, <laughs> that's <laughs> how <laughs> I learned what it was. These are not like things. These are not things I want to learn yeah. from Doctor
0: Dobson, man. Oh. <laughs> Doctor Dobson taught me to masturbate. <laughs> oh, oh, no, oh man, I gotta feel like I'm not the only one. I gotta, I gotta like,
1: like, I gotta cleanse my mind of this image. Oh, man. <laughs>
0: He had some really great advice in there, though. Like Sam and I bought a copy and we were reading it recently. Oh, and man. there's this section where he's talking about like, you know, changes to your body and stuff. And he's like, now you may find that you are, uh, you know, suddenly noticing uh, women's shapely physiques and even their <laughs> petite feet. <Yeah. laughs> are you serious? Yeah, man, It's in there,
1: man. So this is where, like, so the the foot fetish stuff really just all goes back
0: to Dr. Dobson, basically. I I think so.
2: He's he's also the godfather of foot fetishism. So
0: If you go to, if you work at Focus on the Family, it's closed-toed shoes only (laughs) for women. (laughs) So (laughs) it's like a little method behind the dress code.
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Dr. Dobson was huge. I mean, uh, my parents learned about homeschooling from listening to Dr. Dobson. And he was a big kind of booster to my book when it when it came out. He played a cassette, you know, recording of of me speaking on I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which is a huge reason the book spread to so many people. So, hmm. yeah.
2: It's funny. I think so much of it had to do with, you know, you can have a bunch of these old guys trying to tell, like, sell, sell this message. And, mm. you know, it's stuck with, with a lot of young people. But, you know, you... With having a young, having the face of a young, like if someone who was 50 years old wrote your book. I have a feeling it probably wouldn't even, you know, been popularized the way it did. I think is just, a, I think just having a young person, uh, take this message and write right. about it, uh, articulately yeah. was like a, what that was like what they were all holding their breath for. Like it it could have been the worst written book of all time from some dum dum, And they would have just been like, yeah, well, yeah, we need this. Like our marketing campaign sucks right now. I
1: mean, it's just the same. It's the same thing. Like at church, like, you know, if there's a young person that will get up and give their testimony, you know, the leaders are just going to be going crazy about that because Mm -hmm. they want to hold up the, this example of the next generation. Like I, I had this, uh, reporter, contact me to do an interview because she was doing a story secular reporter i think she's in the uk on christian tiktok and how huge christian tiktok is and all these young teens that are like doing all these really like heavily evangelistic you know tiktoks and it's it's really kind of the same thing yeah there's that that rehashed. energy that comes from the uh, the new generation
0: dude there's one uh clip Of uh, uh, you giving a speech in the documentary, Mm. and it's old. It's like it's got to be from the '90s because it is the most, the most '90s set piece and stuff. Oh ever. my goodness. I know. And the pants I'm wearing, they're like pleated,
1: pleated pants. are great. They're pleated pants. I look like I just like raided the set of friends and like took their clothes. And
0: <laughs> you look like, you look like an extra from Ninja Turtles one. Oh, no. <laughs> that is so true. That is so brutal. And so true. Ugh. I think it's, it is interesting. Cause like the, the more I've learned about like, your book and some of the, you know, the messaging that was put out with Mm -hmm. that. Like, I didn't know of anyone who read that book, uh, in my circle of, of friends and, and leaders and stuff, but it's all the same idea. Like those ideas just had a lot of momentum at that point in time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I feel like part of it was, you know, kind of a national push to, it's it's hard to like really put your finger on the motivations for some of the like really conservative aspects of like mm-hmm. the generation that was teaching at that point because mm-hmm. it's almost like it was uh it's almost like it was a reaction to you know the wild cocaine fueled 80s or something like that you know they, they went completely the other
1: way well i think it goes even i think it goes even a little further back at least like the age of my parents because they grew up in the 60s so you had you know the the kind of hippie free love kind of mindset and they became christians out of that and they're now wanting their kids to experience something different okay and then the other thing that you have happening is the AIDS epidemic. I mean, terrible in terms of oh, how it's yeah. just it's decimating the, the gay community, it's affecting so many different people, but there's just mass fear. And then you have, you know, popular culture and media like the MTV generation of the 80s that's pushing its way into people's homes and lives, and so you have this reaction like we got to protect our kids. We got to protect our kids from an ungodly culture. We got to give them something different than we had. Cause when we were dating, we were definitely screwing around, you know? And, and so there's this, this same impulse that led people to homeschool their kids. Again, at least in my circles, there's that same impulse to say, let's do things completely differently than the world. And you think about it, like homeschoolers don't make up all the churches, but they're the most vocal, radical, outspoken. And if you have five homeschool families in a church they're going to have some kind of influence. They're going to be bringing books like this into, into the church.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point I, when you mentioned homeschoolers, because there was this feeling that homeschoolers, like, because it was always done for religious reasons. There was parents that had a problem mm-hmm. with the, the education they would receive in a public school. Right. So when you really like, it was like this unspoken thing almost where, like, even in church, there was like, the, the parents who didn't homeschool their kids like they probably at one point were like yeah I really thought about homeschooling like they it had to be something <laughs> that you at least considered um, because there was it was definitely a and or they have like have to give you a lot of logistical reasons for why it wasn't feasible for them but I mean there was those are almost the apologetic that were,
1: you mean that you were because yeah, yeah. you weren't doing it yeah right exactly. because
2: those the homeschool families doing that for really I mean that's a big it is a big commitment um
1: huge and
2: it is and it it being done for religious reasons to give a good christian education to your your kids and to raise them up in the ways of the lord all those kinds of things it's like those are going to be the families that are are at least seemingly taking their faith the most seriously um when it comes Mm -hmm. to trying Mm -hmm. to live it out or continue it on in the next generation whatever so i feel like even though no one was like saying that like and no one was trying to shame people who, one of the few things, maybe they didn't shame people for an evangelical church, but, um, it wasn't like parents, homeschool families going out of their way to home, like shame the parents of kids who were in public school. But, um, that, that prominent role that homeschool families did play in those churches, I think you're yeah. spot on with that.
1: Yeah, that was definitely present in the church that I, I went to and then later pastored for a number of years it had a real big homeschool culture and there was that kind of judgment. There was that kind of sense that, you know what, if you, even if you sent your kids to Christian school and the church had a Christian school, it was still like, eh, that's a little worldly. You know, you're not really being as, as serious about uh, raising up your kids and discipling them as you could be.
2: Right. So I want to jump off actually on um, you mentioning, pastoring a church so when did cause, so you write this book you know you your life takes off as an author um mm. it, you're deeply invested in uh, the evangel. and casey and i have also talked about this a bunch of times it, it's so easy for me to have like a very empathetic um approach to 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 all of this because like i if i was a good writer uh at, in my late teens early 20s I would I would have easily written the same book, you know. Uh, mm. Maybe will like in a different way, but I-, I just I internalized my culture as well, and you know I, I went on to get a Bible degree. Taking my mm. faith seriously was like the most important thing, and I you know very invested in like conservative evangelical theology, and mm-hmm. so I- I'm so like. I, it's, it, I just feel like I really get where you were coming from. And I, like, mm. especially if you write that and all of a sudden you're, everyone's singing your praises and stuff. Like, how do you, I mean, as a kid, you're just like, you're, it's just constantly being for, reinforced that you're doing the right thing. So I, like, I imagine that right. pulled you into the culture, maybe even harder than you ever had been invested in it It, it made it harder to like, it, it didn't really put you in a position to consider something else and maybe leave. Um, so yeah. So you move into, how'd you get into pastoring? You moved into pastoring, like kind of springboarding from being a Christian author or.
1: Yeah, it kind of happened um, at around the same time. And it's interesting what you say, like this success can kind of trap you in an identity almost. I mean, I think that can happen a lot of different places, but I I do think that that was part of what happened for me. I, I, I wanted to, you know, do big things for God. Like I, I was, I was drawn to Billy Graham and like, you know, doing some kind of massive fame creating (laughs) work for Jesus. Yeah. (laughs) yeah. So I was, I was chasing all that for sure. And I, and I thought that was what I was supposed to do. Um, I thought that was the, the, that was really being sold out for, for God. Um, But I, as I was finishing up the book, at the same time, I was traveling around doing conferences. Again, really from the influence of my dad, he did homeschool conferences. And so I started doing conferences, speaking to homeschool teenagers. At the same time, I was writing I Kissed Dating Goodbye and publishing a magazine for teens. And so then when the, the book came out, like that was the network of people that that took it and, and became champions for it. Well, while I was traveling across the country, I met a a network of churches and they were even more I would say like sold out and sort of black and white about theology and doctrine and a big emphasis they had was the importance of the local church and mm-hmm. so I was sort of building like a a parachurch ministry It was sort of this mix of like business slash ministry doing conferences a magazine I was writing books and the teaching of this movement, and one pastor in particular who would who would go on to be my boss and my mentor, was really, it's all about the local church. And if you're not investing in the local church, you're not really at the heart of what God is doing in the world. You're not really sold out for God, and you're, you're wasting your time. And so I got really influenced by him, listened to all his sermons, and ended up moving across the country to be an intern at that church and to learn from him and really laid all those other things, uh, aside to become a a pastor in this church.
2: Okay. And that's the, that's the church that you stayed in until 2015. Is that right?
1: Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I started out as a a youth intern and then kind of moved my way through leadership and became the, the uh, senior pastor and was the senior pastor there for 10 years.
2: Wow. Wow. So what's, what sparked, um, what sparked your moving on from wanting to do the senior pastor thing because oh, obviously you had... <laughs> That's, yeah is that something you get into is that
1: oh yeah for sure okay. I mean it was just a um you know what sparked me moving on was failure and church you know politics and an implosion in this in this movement mm-hmm. which was was very dramatic so um From the very time that i became the senior pastor behind the scenes there was a lot of turmoil in the the national leadership of this movement and i was kind of drawn into that there was dissension among the apostles in this movement and so i was sort of like the poster boy of the next generation of leaders so i was put in as the lead pastor when i was 30 years old again it's, it was the success that kind of locked me into things. I'm like, oh this has to be God because I'm being handed this amazing you know church to lead mm-hmm. um and so there was a lot that was kind of falling apart behind the scenes but essentially what took place was I just got completely burned out. Um, you know there was a denominational split our church ended up leaving that movement. Um, my mentor disagreed with decisions I made and felt that I was disloyal. So he left the church and completely cut me out. And so my, my ex-wife and I, we, we lost in kind of one fell swoop, all the people that were our mentors, there was massive distrust in the church towards leadership because of things that came out. And then our church got hit with a, a sex abuse lawsuit, um, which, you know, was, was, on top of all this, I mean, the real issue here is the people who were who were victimized, and that's the that's the thing that's the the saddest about it. But I realized that I had been a part of making massive mistakes in not reporting things appropriately. So things that we should have just called the police on, instead we were trying to work out, you know, on a forgiveness level and you know applying the gospel to things and those types of things. So just like yeah. major mistakes, and you. I began to see, like, you know, I've been helping to build a church culture that is damaging to people. We say we're about grace, but actually, people are just under all these rules and they feel judged and manipulated. And then I started to just feel judged and manipulated myself. I mean, I basically started to see. All these ways that i had felt controlled and had lacked even the freedom to think and and you know grow in different ways and so i left that uh and moved to uh, the west coast to go to graduate school a graduate school of theology essentially a seminary which i'd never done before so you i'd like became a pastor wow. and pastored this whole time without ever having gone to seminary and going to seminary was sort of my like escape hatch to say, I've got to rethink things and relearn things. Um, So that was the, that was the change.
0: Jeez. So this, so the guy that, uh, the, your, your mentor, right. It sounds like that guy spoke in absolutes. I mean, for one, like condemning anyone who's not involved in the local church in strong language. And then to later, like, you know just split ways with you over mm. denominational things and stuff i mean was is that guy uh is he, is he off his rocker or is he an egomaniac like
1: well you know life is so there there's a complexity to this i would say if you've met him you would he would say he is the most engaging dynamic charismatic type person like he's the guy that that you want, you want him to like you. He's the life of the party. He was the life of the party before he became a Christian. And then he was the life of the party yeah. as the leader of a huge, oh. you know, church movement. And so. I'm um, determined
0: to hate him now. Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, no, you know, I mean, I don't, I'm not filled with, you know, bitterness and anger, but there's a lot of sadness as I look back and I go, you know, sometimes people who really, I think have some very unhealthy deeper issues uh, bring that into religious settings and they can become these leaders that hold massive sway over people and yeah. so much um, authority because they're invested with an authority from God. And in those settings, sadly, people want that. They want someone to tell them how to live. They want structures. They want rules. So I look back on it and I'm like, why was I drawn to that? Why did I buy into all that crap? Like a strong man. Yeah. And I think the reason was, is I was at a time in my life where I wanted certainty. I wanted to feel safe. I wanted, you know, I think there were insecurities on my own part. I'd never gone to college. You know, I was building this big ministry. And here was someone who had also not gone to college or seminary. And he was saying, come learn from me. I'll be your Paul. You'll be Timothy. I'll be your Paul. And that was affirming to me, you know? Mm. So it's like, it gave me security. It gave me identity. And I walked into this huge movement that he had built. And it was basically like, here are the keys to the kingdom. If you just kind of agree with everything that I'm doing. And so I was like, yeah, absolutely. This is wonderful. And so I signed on to, you know, different expressions of theology, Calvinistic theology and different views of, of women in the church and all these things where it, it you know, I look back and it's on me. That I didn't think for myself. It's on me that I didn't say, well, wait a second. There's 2,000 years of church history. I wanna study more. I wanna see some of the different options. I was just, I think, ambitious and naive and wanting to feel safe and like I had things together. And that was kind of a, a fast track to do that. So, yeah, I mean, I think this guy can be an asshole in a lot of different ways, but I enabled that asshole. You know what I mean? Like, I came along and basically just supported everything that was going on for my own wrong
0: reasons. Yeah, We've talked a lot about the, you know, that desire for certainty Mm -hmm. and how big of a motivating factor that is within the religious community. And it's, I think it's just a human impulse. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the same reason that people buy uh, get rich quick books and things like that. It's like, Uh, This is a complicated issue. I want you to give me a step-by-step process that ends in me being successful. Right, And it's like, even in your documentary, like that was a big part of why people gravitated towards your book. Initially Mm -hmm. it's like dating's complicated and I'm insecure about it. And I just want a rule book that ends with me in a happy marriage. True. Yeah. So I got to ask, what is the worst part of being a pastor. <laughs> oh man. Like um, you got your, it's Sunday, you finish the service. Okay. <laughs> and you look up and there's a person coming down the aisle to talk to you. And like, like who's the person that you dread the most when they're walking towards <laughs> you?
1: <laughs> well, there was this one lady, God bless her. She, 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 when she, when you prayed for her, she insisted on grabbing your neck and pulling you down onto your knees with her to receive prayer. So that was always a very <laughs> awkward, a very awkward experience. But you know, I mean, I look back on my time as a pastor. I loved the people of this church. I still love the people of this church. They um, invested so much in me. They gave me so much love and support in so many different ways. I think what I look back on with regret was that I didn't have the the faculties to be able to ask questions about what I actually wanted in my own life. and there are so many things that I just received from other people as gospel <laughs> and and wasn't able to say, wait a second, does this fit with with my gifts? Does this fit with my own desires? What are my own desires? and i I really never developed that ability for, you know, till much later. And I think it kept me in a place where I was relatively effective, I could do the work, but I wasn't really thriving. And, um, you know, so I, I look back and I think about, you know, all the, the just weekends eaten up with sermon preparation and preaching and, you know, hours upon hours of elders meetings and all these different things. And it, it just really wasn't, who I'm wired to be. It doesn't mean it's a bad thing. I don't, I, I love and support pastors. I think they do a lot of good work in the world, even as my ideas about faith have shifted, but um, I just don't think I was in the right place.
2: Yeah. So what were some of the, what were some of the catalysts then for you developing like the itch to question things on your own or or reconsider some of these things? I mean, if you leave the pastor in Mm. 2015, go to college three years later your documentary comes out where you're where you you correct me if i'm wrong it seems like at that point you hadn't completely hadn't completely kind of disavowed some of the things from the book
0: Mm -mm. uh it sounds
2: like you have a stronger stance against it even now than you did when that documentary came Mm -hmm. out or when it was being made it came out in 2018 i don't know how long you guys worked on it for but um between 2015 and then like was it hearing from people like adding you on Twitter or what that, that really got your like gears turning? Like what were the catalysts for reconsideration? Mm
1: -hmm. Well, I think it started back at the church, seeing the, the bad fruit of a lot of the things that were happening in our church culture. Um, I didn't know how to start the process of reevaluating my book because I think there was just so much, like psychological resistance to opening up that door you know like oh my gosh like what is that going to mean if i think my book is is somehow wrong in some way like it was a huge part of my identity it was a huge part of my just income you know there are all these factors in place that just keep you from even wanting to consider that you know it could be unhealthy or or bad in some way so i was resistant to that but i think Coming out to Canada and being a student instead of a a pastor and a leader enabled me just to be in a different frame of mind. Um, I was exploring things artistically, creating more, taking classes, uh, relating to fellow students, hearing their stories. They were becoming friends, sharing with me ways that my book had negatively impacted them, but they were just real people. You know, they weren't, they weren't just a, you know, a name on the internet or, you know, some, some stranger. So all of those things were, were, you know, shaping me. And then yes, on Twitter and different places like that, I started having interactions that ended up pushing this conversation into a more public arena, which forced me to say, what do I actually think here? Like I, I'm, I am sorry if the books hurt people, but I don't know why it's hurt people exactly. I don't know what I actually think of this. And so the documentary that you've described became the vehicle to, to do that reevaluation. That was my my thesis project along with a fellow student at Regent College. We created this documentary and I was able to, you know, travel around and interview people and talk with all these people. And what was happening in there, you know, there were things taking place in my marriage, which ultimately, you know, led to us ending our marriage so that was taking place under the surface i wasn't at a place where i was questioning faith during the documentary but the you know i was kind of in denial about how deep the questions would go in other words as i'm questioning the ideas in my book and i'm seeing the impact of my book on people and even the ideas in my book on my own life my own marriage these are these are hitting on much deeper questions about the evangelical church and what I'd been a part of and whether I actually believed in all these things and had I ever really, you know, thought for myself. And so there was a lot taking place under the surface. And, and so the, the documentary captures like one moment, you know, you have to like mm-hmm. record and edit and, and capture a moment, but even as that's unfolding and as it's released and so on, so much is, is changing inside of me.
0: Was it, was it hard to, uh, because i mean it's such a it's such a turbulent time it sounds like in your life and things were kind of in flux was it hard to release that documentary by the time it was ready to go or were you like ah oh, man i don't know if i'm fully on board with some of this or mm-hmm.
1: yeah no the way that the timing of that worked i i didn't feel that way i i felt like the the documentary was um a very honest like kind of encapsulation of the, of the process and the journey. And so I, I was very proud of it and proud of the the quality of the work. I mean, it was, it was student run, all these people volunteered, it was crowdfunded. So it was really oh, wow. a special thing to be a part of. And we were able to, because of the crowdfunding, that was the whole vision to give it away to just make it available for free to people. Um, so I, I still think that it's a, it's a wonderful, you know, documentation, right. Of, of that uh that
0: process for me. So your friend that made it has like such a great uh like narrator voice. Like Jessica like
1: Weingart? yeah, she's from Australia, so she's got the she's got the cool accent.
0: She just and like she, and she just she's needs a really, to pick up where uh, David Attenborough leaves off. You she's
1: know? a really talented filmmaker and I mean she produced and directed this uh, as a student on a you know shoestring budget. So Um, huge props to, to Jessica and I hope she will, you know, make, make future films, um, and with her company. So doxology, check it out. (laughs) So uh,
0: you, so you interviewed a number of different people during the documentary. Mm -hmm. And I always wonder, especially in, you know, in situations where you're talking about things that are personal and stuff, is there like a culling process with the interviews where you have to look at some of them and go, Eh, maybe not that one. Mm. Like, was there some of the interviews that you had to leave out? Did some of them, were any of them hostile, or were they all mm. pretty good? Everybody was reasonable in their in their conversation.
1: Yeah, I don't think we left. I, I mean, first of all, Jessica was the the producer and the director and and the editor, um, and so she made certain decisions along with the executive producer that uh, she had to make as in her role. You know, you just can't include everything. I don't remember us cutting anything that was hostile, we did cut a few interviews that, you know, I kind of look back and I'm like, oh, I wish we could have included that one, you know, um, or, or one, you know, where I interviewed, um, you know, a man who grew up in my church, who was gay, who was kind of sharing his, his experience related to the message of the book. And that ended up getting cut. That was probably one of my biggest regrets that didn't mm. get into the the final version. But, um, you know, it's just it's a it's an interesting thing. I mean, every art form has its its power and its limitations, and that's definitely the case with something like a documentary. You can't have everything in there. You can't tell every story. So um, we we were trying to tell a very specific story.
2: Yeah. So what what happened from so in, it, I think it was 2019. I forget. Was it summer? Maybe 2019 when you know the the mm-hmm. big bomb dropped of you coming out and saying you don't consider yourself a Christian anymore or, mm. and then that was, was, was your, did your divorce follow that announcement, the announcement of your separation or was it your separation first and then your, it was the separation um,
1: first. Yeah. Okay.
2: So mm-hmm. I, I honestly, I, I, <laughs> I that probably, I kind of probably laid a lot of the groundwork for I, people like saw the response um, of that. And then to see the follow, like to see the follow up of I'm not a Christian anymore. I, I bet people mm. were probably like, we, we, we saw that coming. I don't know in Mm. some ways, because it seems like if your faith is starting to collapse, um, especially Mm. with someone who has it so intertwined with every aspect of their life, like you did with your platform being built on building a successful marriage and then having that fail, it seemed like that was kind of the writing in the sand for, um, for some people is that, you know, you were losing your faith and that, that was Mm. kind of, like that your marriage collapsing might've been the first part of that. But do you, do you want to, do you mind speaking to maybe like some of the things that led to that announcement, like in that short period of time of like a year, you know, you said when you were making Mm. the documentary, you weren't really reconsidering your faith, but then a year, year and a half later, um, you come out with an announcement that you don't
1: consider yourself to be Christian. anymore.
2: that's a big step.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's interesting. Um, in a similar way, like in the church, someone can go from heathen to Christian in an instant, right? You know, it's like yeah. you you the, you know you see the light and you believe and you you know you're up the next weekend giving your testimony about how you've left left behind a life of sin and debauchery and you're gonna follow Jesus, and um, you know I think people in the church are able to say. Oh, that makes sense. You know, that's that's the way it works. It can happen that that quickly. There doesn't have to be a massive buildup. So, in a similar way, I think that that the way that people um change in regards to faith or lose their faith or deconvert or deconstruct or whatever, there's no timeline. Like there's no if you know, there's no rule that says if you believe this long, then it's gonna take you five years to slowly deconstruct and get to the point where you, (laughs) you know, you say you're not a Christian. It's, it can, it can happen as quickly as that. I think that there are a lot of people in churches who don't actually believe, but they're still there because it's their community. It's their livelihood. It's everything they know. They would be blowing up so much of their life. And so I think what happened with me is that there was, a, there was a kind of crazy confluence of events um, where so many things fell apart for me in such an intense and kind of quick succession. You know, my, my whole church world fell apart, so I moved away from all that, started over completely in a new country, went to school, you know, realized I didn't want to be a pastor anymore, realized that the books I'd written had actually been damaging to people, Unpublished those books, did a documentary about it. I mean, even as I recounted, I'm thinking that was too much. I should have slowed. <laughs> I should have slowed down. That was too much. But you know, behind the scenes, things happening in my in my marriage, and and so you're right. It's like that that was very sudden. I think a lot of people would have seen the the writing on the wall and said, "Oh, this is coming." But in another way, it's like it makes sense that when you start letting go of the things that are holding you in a certain system. Sometimes it's pure belief and faith and it's, you know, and that's fine. But a lot of times there are other things that are propping that up. And all those things kind of got knocked down for me, which you can look back on and say, oh, that was such a disaster. That was so terrible. I look back on it and say, thank goodness that those things happen because I needed that to happen in order to be honest about where I was and to, to step into this new direction and kind of openness that I'd never been in before, you know? So when we announced the, the marriage piece, um, which again, like many couples don't have to do that, but we knew like yeah. this will end up becoming public no matter what. We don't want other people to be driving this. We want to be in control of how we share this. Um, so when we made that announcement, there was this you know, massive reaction, understandably, based on the things I've written and said, um, where people then started judging and assuming all these kinds of things. My, my ex-wife had been vocal about some of her questions about the evangelical church. She'd been more vocal about those things like on Instagram than I had been up to that point. And so people started saying all these terrible things like, oh, well, Josh is having to do this because his wife isn't a good Christian and, you know, just like terrible stuff. Wow. And I was just so ticked off by this. And that's where I just kind of in one fell swoop was like, hey, guys, you know, just so you know, like, I'm not trying to justify this according to scripture. In fact, I can't even say I can't even call myself a Christian anymore anymore. And by the way, I want to apologize to my LGBTQ friends and affirm them. And, you know, it was kind of a peace out moment for me yeah. of just being like, I'm I'm tired of people thinking something of me and me trying to justify things according to a certain set of rules. I just want to get out completely so that I can have the space to figure out what I actually believe and what I actually want and not be doing that for anybody else. So that's why... You know, I think it did feel very sudden. I could have just kind of processed that privately, even announced my marriage ending and had people assume that I was at the same place when it came to faith and just been kind of deconstructing over the over a long period of time. Maybe never announced it. I think there are tons of people, and I totally respect them, who people assume they're Christians and they don't, you know, practice or believe in the same way. Um, like Sam? <laughs> oh, my goodness. What What kind of? What kind of openness is happening here? But yeah, do you know what I'm saying? Like, and I don't say, I, I honestly don't view my approach as being more noble or brave. Like, I don't think there's a right way to do it. And sometimes I talk to people, they're like, oh, you know, I, I've changed in my thinking. What should I do? Should I come out and, you know, do a post on Instagram? I'm like, no, you don't need to do yeah. that. Like, just focus on your own health and do what's best for you. Don't feel this, this outward pressure. You could
2: also well, start a podcast about it. the amount of people who probably had no idea of the things that I thought that I'm like finding out or listening to it. And they're like, I'm like, oh, that's weird to think that they heard me say that or that.
1: But why the- did you, I mean, but why was, what was your reason for doing that? Like you needed to, you needed something in your own life to, to process. Is that why you started this no, podcast?
2: Uh, I did the, most of my processing well before the, like, I mean, not that I've, like, it's like, not that I've come to the ultimate place uh, or the final destination of thought. But um, I've been at peace with where where I'm at and what I think for a little while now. We did this because we like making fun of Christian things sometimes and we just wanted to have Christian culture. It's like kind of podcast is wrapped up in Christian culture. We did it because we're
0: self-absorbed.
2: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) We would
1: send each other At least you haven't fallen to the low of making a documentary about yourself. So
2: there you go. We, we would send each other stupid like memes or make jokes all the time. And that's our relationship was kind of just built on making fun of things that we grew up with. And we're like, we should just start a podcast. And then it turned into something. So it's not oh, because, it's so uh, but it is weird though. The second you start, I mean, as you would know, as someone who's been putting like, like it's, it must be weird to have to feel like you need to weigh that um, option. Like any person like, who doesn't have any level of notoriety, like I, I, I've seen those big elaborate announcements of everything they think or don't think anymore. And it always feels mm. a little like you didn't have to, you didn't have to do that, but like people, I mean, your entire life was wrapped up in this. And I, even though mm. you had left being a pastor and I don't, I mean, it's probably, you probably didn't have a whole lot of people like knocking at your door, checking up on you. And in, in that regard, like you had almost pulled yourself out of that environment, but I mean,
1: that's true yeah. with
2: the, le- with your influence on it. And I can see why that, I mean, that feels like the right and necessary mm-hmm. move. Is like, especially when you're talking about the way that people were coming at your ex wife and making all these assumptions. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, it, it's wanting that's, to do that's terrible. Yeah. Wanting to like, kind of like protect everyone's integrity and, and put out why things are the mm-hmm. way they are. Even if you're not getting into it on a, Overly personal level, it's like this isn't. There's a lot of things at play here that have landed us in this position, and, mm-hmm, and so I can. Mm-hmm. It makes sense that you would need to to do something like that. But I, I always do find it funny when like someone who's like in college comes out with their big announcement. It's just like come back in five years when you've like thought this through a little bit. or you might still be there, <laughs> but you, there's, there's a lot to learn from like twenty to twenty-five to 30, I don't know. It's just it's funny to me. <laughs>
1: It's so interesting. And I think it, you know, the thing for me is it's like everybody's different. Everybody's circumstances is different. And I just try to hold a lot of um empathy for people, you know, where I think there's people that are in the ex-evangelical space or they're talking a lot about the church or trauma and these kinds of things. And other people can look at that and say, well, why don't you just move on? It's like, no, like there's something that they're they're dealing with there's something that's needing to heal there's something maybe maybe even a gifting and a calling to try to help other people that have been hurt in the ways that they have and so i'm just trying to hold this mindset of just like there's no one way to do it we all have different approaches we all have different journeys and different circumstances you know i know people who uh, you know they might have a spouse that's still very connected to the church and so they're not as open about where they are because they're they're trying to honor the person they're married to, and so just like a million different factors that can be at
0: play. For sure, yeah. We uh, we've been doing almost like weekly updates on the show with about uh, John <laughs> Cooper, who's the the lead singer of Skillet.
1: Oh yeah, John Cooper. Yeah, he he kind of came strong when I made the announcement that I made. He he did a, like a big reaction to that's his you know,
2: M.O.I. That's that's what he does. <laughs>
1: That's we, what I was gonna ask. Can we just say the, the guy has a strong beard game? So there's like no, no matter what, like
0: I think that's Rockstar beard so game. Much. He definitely he is dying that though for sure. His hair and beard are too dark. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. That's great. But uh, yeah, I, I well, we talked about it the other day, but uh, you know he did an interview on a show. It's a lady that used to be in Zoe Girl. So they were oh, on there right. talking about She's
1: an she's an apologist, right?
0: Exactly. Mm-hmm. And they were talking yeah. about, you know, people announcing the end of their faith, you know, mm-hmm. deconverting. Right. And I mean throwing some pretty charged accusations and stuff at at mm. at the people who did that. Did you get a lot of that kickback when you made your announcement?
1: Uh yeah. I mean, it's I I think there's a lot of hypocrisy in it, honestly. I remember Franklin Graham said something. John Cooper said something. And they're, they're doing the things that Christian leaders are, are, are supposed to do in those moments. In other words, try to keep people in line, try to explain what's happening, and demonize the people that are leaving, even though yeah. they wouldn't say they're doing that. you know, They would say they're protecting the flock and all those types of things. Um, the evangelical church, let's just be honest, has been built around celebrity culture, and um, you know, Zoe girl, John Cooper, where do they come from? CCM, you know, the right, platforms right. they have, the skills they have, all those different kinds of things. Franklin Graham, you know, I think he, his accusation was, I was doing this for publicity, man, Billy Graham's whole <laughs> ministry is built on publicity. <laughs> like that's right. what, that's what makes evangelicals so brilliant is that we know how to use publicity and the media and all these different kinds of things. And so it really bothers as me. He's- Writing yeah. a tweet about transgender
0: bathrooms. <laughs> what,
1: what what annoys me so much, and this is where I use the word hypocrisy, is that you can't use all those tools in the cause of the church. And then when someone else uses it in saying, I'm leaving, and say, oh, well, that's that's the danger of celebrities. That's the danger of, you know, why would people need to be vocal about these types of things, all, you know, judge motives, all those kinds of things. And I just think we, we had to just give ourselves a little bit more grace here, guys, and just say, yeah, you know, if it's okay to stand up and share your testimony when you enter the church, then why should it be criticized if you stand up and give your testimony when you're leaving the church? You can't have it both ways. And I just want to celebrate everybody's right to have their views, hold their views, you know, and have their convictions. But um, yeah, that can be be a little uh, annoying to me.
0: Yeah. it is funny I do like I didn't think about it that way, but you know that whole testimony aspect it's like commandeering someone's personal story to push an agenda hmm. you know but when that that story we all have veers an agenda course, it's a,
1: yeah it's it's like let's be honest, we all have an agenda and but you're right, you're right <laughs> so what do you That's... um what do you make of? of
2: where you're at now i mean it's because it sounds like you've really drifted out of i mean you've disconnected as much as you can of course like this is going to follow you around for a while but um at least in your personal life in your work um it feels like you've uh disconnected from you know the christian culture as a whole like your Mm -hmm. your work isn't based around it anymore um what is, I guess, what is it even that you, what, what is it that you're doing? And then, and how do you kind of feel about like Christianity at this point? Where, kind of where is your, your head at when it comes to that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So my, my work is, um, is not directly tied to these things, but it's interesting the ways that things overlap, you know? So I, mm-hmm. I work with, I, I run a, a marketing and brand strategy company that just does work for businesses, creating clear content, building websites, those kinds of things. But there's a, a second facet to it where I coach people who are wanting to share a message with others, you know, so okay. personal brands and thought leaders and people who have a book in them or, you know, trying to influence through ideas. And it's fascinating to me the people who, seek me out and who want that kind of coaching they know something of my story and whether or not they were in the church or out of the church or still in the church there's like this recognition of Josh understands massive life change and like how to regroup and how to kind of own your own voice and own your story and and move forward and i that's probably the work that's most gratifying to me honestly like working with people at that level. And I work Mm -hmm. with people that are, again, they're still people of faith and others that are at completely different places. And, you know, um, but I, I love this idea of people's freedom to grow and change and then their freedom to have their voice be heard, you know, and that, that nobody should be out there saying, well, you're allowed to speak and you're not allowed to speak and, and so on. Um, So in terms of my own processing of things, I just feel like I'm still, you know, on the journey. My, my yeah. friend Kelly, Kelly Lamb and I are starting a podcast uh, later this year that's called Still Unfolding. And that okay. really captures it, you know, the whole idea. It's like grow, ask questions, uh, be willing to change, but don't feel boxed in. Don't even feel boxed into the process of, you know, of, of change and transformation in some way. If you want to stay where you are, that's fine. But just, but, you know, just give yourself that that permission. Um, and that's that's to me a, a healthy place for me.
0: I like that idea now yeah.
1: your your co-host what, what what was her name? Her name's Kelly, Kelly Lamb, and she is a Christian who's actually uh, pastoring right now. So we come from very different you know perspectives in many ways, but we share this common willingness to to ask questions, to challenge the status quo, and to highlight stories of people that are in that space so
2: <laughs> that's funny man that that resonates with casey and i especially with casey kind of being and it's like he's the one that kind of sam's like, mike kelly yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's, <laughs> and great. that's all we've that's been doing great. is just like talking to people about their stories and i mean there's so many and i that's think that's true. what's so interesting to me about where you know where i've ended up and it sounds like we're probably all on a similar page here is like where when you've done when you've started processing some of this and you've gone back and forth and you, mm. you've you kind of just released yourself from any sort of dogma. Uh, the, the stories that people like you find yourself no longer concerned with like evangelicalism is concerned with this with stories of people who end up where they want them to end up. And those are the stories that mm-hmm. But that's just uh, to, right. uh, that isn't interesting to me after after a while but Mm. you know people's stories of like
1: like you're open to you're open to any story when you're in this this space like you're unfolding yourself and you don't need to like lock somebody in to say wait a second you shouldn't be asking that question you know you're just able to enjoy them in a way that i think is is so much more beautiful and that's that's one of the things i appreciate the most of this kind of uh you know kind of place that I'm in in the, in the past I wanted to control people I wanted to fix people I wanted to you know get them back on track if I thought they were wrong and now I can just yeah. appreciate that they're a distinct human being with their own you know ideas and story and I can just see the beauty in that
2: Yeah I totally uh, dude cuz that that feeling that you talked about in the back of your head like the converse it's like i almost feel like i didn't have an honest conversation with somebody for the first 25 years of my mm-hmm. life not that i yeah. wasn't genuine but like that every time things start going down a road where you think it, it needs to be corrected one it's just exceptionally arrogant which i would mm-hmm. i would say arrogance plagued my belief system for uh probably even still does i'm not pretending like i've again moved on from the, the well, Casey's really nodding his head a yeah, lot right now, just I, so you know. Really I know. <laughs> but I mean, the conversation—I just felt like I always needed to control conversation. And like, if even in a Christian college like Liberty University, if people start moving into like a direction mm. that I thought was theologically inappropriate, you're like, you're you stop listening, and your wheels start spinning on how you can like bring the conversation back on track or correct somebody for their incorrect thinking. And man, that's exhausting. And it's so freeing to, uh, and that's what I'm hearing from you is like that freeing feeling of just mm-hmm. being able to be people in a room together and express our feelings and our thoughts and our beliefs. And and not that there aren't, I mean, of course we're recognized that there are some harmful beliefs out there and those need to be corrected. And, mm-hmm. but mm. that's not the same as, um that that does seem genuinely different than feeling the the need to just pull people on your path every time they drift away
0: from it.
1: Mhm. Mhm. Yeah, I I can totally relate to that.
0: Yeah, I that's that's probably one of the things that I I feel like is hardest to communicate, especially to people who are still in the faith to some extent, mm. is uh you know, it's it's a tough kind of painful process to, to work your way through, you know, what, to be honest with yourself about your actual beliefs. Mm -hmm. You know, this is what I've professed to believe for so long, but if I'm being honest, this is what I actually believe now, or this Mm -hmm. is what I don't know, Mm -hmm. you know, but there's something that's like, so, uh, it's like a profound sense of freedom when you can finally just admit that like, you don't know if a guy got swallowed by a whale and lived in it for a week, you know, and stuff like that's a recurring theme on the show. But uh, I, I think that that's really, that's, that's so tough to communicate to people who are still in the church. And it's not like everybody needs to, you know, in the same way, like we don't need to pull people away from their faith. No, you know, I don't think any of us want to do that. But like, when you see that, when you see people exhibiting the signs of that, like what you're just talking about, Sam, like that, you can tell that there's a feeling there of like discomfort that they're, that's resonating with them because of someone's story or because of what's being said. It's like, you just want to see them. You just want to see them like uh, liberated from that, that feeling of, of guilt, you know? Yeah.
2: Yeah. I definitely feel, agree with that. Uh, you you could, uh, when I see that look in people's eyes, that I had, um, when, when they want to correct or, re- or improve something that I'm saying and I'm like, ah, oh, I see, I know that look, I I've been there. And of course I still resist. It's important. We still have to resist the urge to do that. Too. I still find myself wanting to do that frequently. Um, I just think I find myself wanting to do it a little bit less now, <laughs> but so Josh, I, I mean, I don't know if there's anything you got going on outside of, I mean, you mentioned your podcast. I don't know if you got other stuff coming down the, I don't know, pipeline or any other thoughts on, you know, your, uh, your story that, you know, you like to express that uh, things that you want people to, to have a better understanding of. Um, But go ahead. I mean, I, I want to kind of value your, uh, your time here, but if there's anything you want to kind of let us go with, I would love to let you take it away.
1: Well I just really appreciate the conversation guys you know I I think that um this space of of being able even to laugh at different parts of the the evangelical christian culture of what you guys have grown up in I think is so healing for people it's like you know being able to look back and just say Regardless of whether something is true or not, there's just some wacky stuff that that we did, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and being able to to laugh at those things, um, I think is a real a real gift, and I think it's uh, I think it's so healthy, and I, I appreciate you just giving me the space to to you know tell my story and process this. Uh, it, it means a lot to me, so thank you.
0: Yeah. yeah, You know, we glazed right over it, and I didn't even get a chance to ask you. Uh, did you did you ever get around to, to having sex?
1: <laughs> no i've just been i've been um so busy apologizing for my stupid book
0: yes. That's, you should try it i mean yeah at least once. i really
1: okay good i think i will <laughs> i yeah I, I don't know where these three kids i have came from but uh
0: yeah <laughs> uh, well man it was great to meet you thanks for uh, being good on the to show meet you too yeah and, for sure uh, Make sure to let us know when your, when your podcast launches.
1: Oh, thank you. Yeah, I absolutely will. Um, we'll, uh, we'll be taking notes from you guys. You guys are doing really good work.
0: <laughs> thanks, man. <laughs> thanks. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening, and we will catch you next time.